0: Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink
1: enough.
0: Hey, welcome to Lucky Guys Cocktology. Um, We're at the Cub Content Studios, as you can see see behind me. We're part of the Pulltab Sports Network. Today, um, we're going to talk about the spirits at Lucky Guys Distillery. We're going to get a little nerdy. So if you don't want to get deep into the science of how we make the products that we make, Uh, This one might not be for you, but I think you can learn something, so I hope you'll take a listen. Um, Recently, we came up with our slogan, We Make Better Spirits So You Can Make Better Cocktails. Raise your game, raise your cocktail game with Lucky Guys Distillery Spirits. And um, I think there's a lot of question in everyone's mind when they think about the rise of craft distilleries across the country and why. Like, what what do they provide that I can't get someplace else? Clearly, the market share uh, is held by the giants. Um, I mean, when you think about the biggest brand names are usually held in a portfolio uh, run by a massive conglomerate. Constellation Brands owns hundreds of brands. Um, Diageo owns hundreds of brands. And those people control market share through marketing. It works well. Uh, you've seen commercials. You've seen um, print ad you've seen ads in stores that push you a certain way and and while a lot of those spirits are certainly high quality uh what batch what small and micro batch distilling does is it provides a unique opportunity to get maybe even more elevated spirits clearly a subjective subject matter um for instance um When you think of vodka, some is made from potatoes, some is made from corn, some is made from rye, some is made from wheat, some is made from grapes. Vodka is, by definition, supposed to be somewhat flavorless, odorless, and tasteless, which is maybe the biggest reason why I don't really focus on vodka very much or love vodka, because it doesn't bring anything to the game. But it does tell you that um, across uh, a wide variety of brands, you're going to find a wide variety of subtle flavor changes. Um additionally you know if you think about the bottom shelf in the liquor store that bottom shelf we the reason we call it bottom shelf it's the cheapest um it's usually the would it be right to say most poorly made i don't think it's poorly made i just think they maybe don't take the effort to to make it as good as they possibly could for the focus of profit over quality um so let's talk about this why are we better Or what do we think makes us better? It's complicated. I've got a lot of notes. I'm not going to, as you can tell, there is no guest with me today. And frankly, a lot of it is because this is not a conversational topic. And uh, most of my good friends aren't distillers. And the the notes, the details, even the processes here are a little too complex. Uh, I'm going to simplify it some to help everyone have a get a grasp on what we're talking about, but I'm going to reference these notes. I don't want to uh, get anything wrong, and some of these words, frankly, uh, I didn't know about before I started distilling. Uh, so we're going to get a little nerdy. Um, we're actually doing a, a video series coming up here uh, called "Down the Rabbit Hole," which might be this podcast personified. The first episode that I'm working on editing is. Bourbon, the barreling of bourbon, and the details that go around what makes those things happen. Um, And that down the rabbit hole is just, you know, obviously we have a rabbit, but it's a little further examination in depth of certain areas. Today, um, the rabbit hole is distilling itself. So what makes our spirits better? Uh, Small batch production is, by definition, um, a single pot. Uh, we've got a 1,200-gallon mash ton that we use uh, to make our spirits, and I don't even fill it all the way. I fill about four to 500 gallons at a time. So that small batch means that if the grain in one 500-gallon batch uh, was from 2023 and then 2024 we get another batch, Those could be different yields, different sugar contents, different water contents, um, which affect the weight, and you could end up with slightly different variations in flavors. So small batch production alone makes the spirits at least more unique. Um, We'll get into why they're better. Uh, The one very obvious one is a hands-on approach. Uh, I'm the only distiller in our uh, distillery currently. Uh, I, I don't use the word master distiller. I think that term gets tossed around really loosely, and frankly, there's no class where you go get master distiller, I think it's a matter of time. And I was surprised to sort of realize that I've been distilling since 2018. And so we're coming up on six years of distillation. But the hands-on approach of a master distiller means that um, I'm involved in every step of the process. And I can tell you that When you're running a distillation column, there is no bell that goes off that says change. There is no alarm that rings that says it's time to start collecting different parts of the run. Uh, It all just boils down to me walking by and doing significant checks, whether it's a proof check, a taste check, a temperature check. Um, So that hands-on approach matters. Ingredients, as I mentioned, um, while we're very... Focused, we try and be hyper focused on local ingredients. Our farmer is in New Richmond, Wisconsin, Um, and Roosmar Farms provides us with all of our corn, rye, and wheat, with the exception of some corn that my wife's family is raising. And that's going to be part of the second spirit, the Fighting Sisters bourbon. You can see I brought our original bourbon uh, because it wouldn't be a podcast if we weren't tasting the product. And uh, we want to stay local. you know, you can't get peppercorns raised in St. Croix County. So peppercorns come from an herb company, either Monterey Herb or San Francisco Herb, because those are global sources. And there may be, maybe it's less important uh, to be local. If you can't, in terms of watching the quality there, most of them are sourced by San Francisco or Monterey from the best sources that they can find globally for things that don't— uh, that aren't raised around here. But for the local stuff, uh, we're going to use a farmer right here. And it's, it's actually intelligent on multiple reasons, because the cost to the farmer, we're able to pay a local farmer significantly more than the elevator. And I'm able to buy it for significantly less than I could from a a supplier that will, you know, act as a go-between. Generally, it's one more than one or two go-between, so the price is significantly higher. So we're smarter in terms of saving, but it also puts a local terroir because if you think of terroir, you know, Champagne region of France, um, those grapes grow right there. In fact, it's the only stuff that can be called Champagne. Burgundy can only be Burgundy uh, grown in the Burgundy region of France, and those specific soils, specific acids, specific you know basic um, whether it's mineral content all of that will affect the grape the same way those things affect the grains Um, so using local introduces a terroir of the local um, the local product or local climate ground environment so all of those things matter as well Uh, we're also very focused on trying to stay as natural as we can Um, our most recent product sinful cinnamon whiskey which is taken off extremely well it's much better than the other cinnamon whiskeys out there i don't even really want to consider fireball a cinnamon whiskey since it's not whiskey but um that sinful whiskey uses only natural ingredients cinnamon stick thai chili peppers sugar and corn whiskey i think that's one of the reasons why people love it they think it's cleaner um, the people who've tried it, even the ladies who say they don't like whiskey, say it's a more approachable product. I think that's because we're using all natural products. So that's another reason, natural and local. And the one that I think I've, maybe I'll dwell on too much, uh, but creativity. Um, you know, back in the lab, I call it the lab. It's basically the area of the distillery where I keep all of the botanicals, all of the fruit peel, all the spices. Um, I'm constantly trying new things uh, whether it's an herbal liqueur for this winter uh, whether it's cherry bitters which we made for the first time um, those creations and the ability to make things on a smaller scale that nimble um, ability to be nimble I think is uh, beneficial to the quality of the product and the end result so that's probably the biggest four things that make better now We're going to dig into distillation, Um, and I mentioned no bell, no alarm, and uh, once you get past that subjectivity of whether or not you agree with me that small batch distilleries can be better than large mass-produced, we're going to get into why there is science. My son Charlie is going to come and be a distiller with me next year when he graduates uh, from Concordia with a degree in chemistry, and he's going to know a lot more about the chemistry than I am. I'm just a sales guy. But the art of the matter, you know, you've got science, and then you've got the hands-on approach, and that's really where the art meets the science. Um, So we're going to dig into a little bit of that. Uh, One thing I will say, uh, large distilleries will have a more consistent product than a small batch. Um, Part of that, if you think about just the grain product, when I store whiskey, I might get to 150 gallons of whiskey before I bottle it. A large distiller might have... 10,000 gallons before they decide to bottle it. Um, And they're also using continuous columns. And what that leads to is a larger group of product that is blended together and a master distiller who is looking at the flavor profile in order to maintain an absolute sense of normality, if you will. So Jim Beam from 1982 might taste the same as Jim Beam from 2023. And he's trying to make it that way. Uh, I should say 2019, since it's going to spend four years in a barrel. But that blending process or that mass production does lead to greater consistency. It also minimizes the time that one batch could shine over the other because they're blending them all together. So, okay, so let's dig in. This is where we're going to get nerdy, if I didn't get already nerdy enough for you. Uh, There are four distinct parts of every spirit run. I shouldn't say every spirit run, of every initial spirit run. And so you break it down and you have to pay attention. The first one is called the four shots, and those four shots are literal poisons. Um, the good news is, is that all of that comes at a lower uh, evaporation point, and so you don't have to necessarily um, have any more knowledge. You just need to be paying attention so that you capture the first 1% to 2% of the spirit as it's distilled and throw it away uh so what's in the four shots um methanol is the biggest one uh it's also known as wood alcohol and it's it's only in the four shots because it's got the lowest evaporation point this one is also responsible for what people refer to in the industry as moonshine blindness it actually will blind you um, and the number isn't that big Um, if you had pure methanol 100 milliliters, which is a shot and a half, would would do damage. Uh, and so it's extremely important that that gets removed. But with the lowest evaporation point, again, as long as you take the first 1% to 2% and throw it away or um, you know, use it for something else, stainless steel cleaner or some sort of cleaning fluid disinfectant, you'll be fine. Um, and that's what we do. Um, as we get further here, uh, you'll find out that we actually throw away most of the heads as well. And... Um, that means I'm so far past anything that would be poisonous, but the other things that happen in, uh, heads and four shots are acetone. Uh, ladies will know this as fingernail polish remover and it's a very solvent, you know, the smell is powerful. Uh, when you get into the, the right part of the run, whether it's with, uh, um, whiskey, bourbon, brandy, vodka, or gin, the center part of the runner, the hearts, really smell nice and clean. Um, and so you, and again, I'm talking about art and science. There isn't going to be something that says you're in the hearts. There are ways to test it, but um, it's it's truly the distiller's hands that are making the change. So, um, you know, where does methanol exist in the world? Methanol is the primary um, accelerant, I believe, found in sterno, so camp stoves don't drink that folks. Um, and it's killed thousands over history because there are a great number of people who are either making, you know, trying to make alcohol at home and they don't know this. Um, but it's primarily in, um, countries that are less well-established in terms of taking care of this. So, uh, India, I think when I was doing my research has the greatest number of accidents, but you know, billions of people and, uh, um, a democratic environment; those people are going to take chances, <laughs> and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it hasn't worked out. Um, I talked about acetone, propanol, or isopropanol; uh, those that usually comes a little later, but there will be trace amounts in the heads. Butane or butanol; it's another one. Um, these types of and the proof when you when you start taking off four shots and heads, there'll be it's it's a high proof. Uh, When you're talking about a whiskey run where we're trying to capture um, ethanol under 160 proof, the four shots and heads will be as high as 180. It's very brief, and then it'll quickly fall. And so you're paying attention to both proof temperature and time. I tend not to taste the first um, gallon or two out of a 500-gallon run because I know it's nothing good in there. Um, and then you'll also have something called fusel alcohols or higher alcohols. Um, you know, they have obviously very unique names. Usually they're concentrated in the heads, and so we don't worry too much about um, how they're going to affect the flavor because, as I'm about to mention, I throw the heads away. The things that are in heads only, uh, one of them is called ethyl acetate, um, and it's similar to acetone, if I'm not mistaken, but they taste Um, sort of fruity, but they still have that solvent smell, um, a little flavor there as well. Um, I tend to find these sort of taste like saccharin or aspartame or fake sugar. Uh, and that usually is the defining factor for me to know whether I'm in the heads or have moved into the hearts. Um, when you think about the science involved in distillation, uh, we bring that 500 gallons up to temp. And um, as I mentioned, evaporation points, um, those temperatures will tell us where we're at in terms of a rough, uh, a rough estimate. And then you'll use taste and proof um, to determine where you're at. Uh, it gets a little, it gets a little tighter, uh, but uh, when you think of evaporation points for um, wood, uh, the methanol, wood alcohol, and acetone, they're both under 150 degrees. You won't get any alcohol until over 170, and so that very first run when you're ticking up, you might be at 160, 165 degrees, and it starts spitting out fluid. It's all garbage. You don't want anything to do with that. Um, um, once you get past that and you get into the ethanol, that's when you're going to start to pay significant attention. Um, so that's, that's the heads. Uh, hearts are the most important part of the run. It's going to represent about 40% of the overall content of a spirit. So if you have um, 400 gallons or 450 gallons of 15% alcohol, that implies that you've got about 60 to 70 gallons of spirit in there. You have to extract it, obviously, and with control, that's how you extract that. But of that 60 to 70 gallons, 25 to 30 will be good enough to go into a barrel for aging. The rest of it either needs further re- re- uh, refinement or needs to be thrown away. So before we dig into the hearts, though, we're going to hear a word from Duke Cannon. Uh, I have still have most of my hair. Sorry to my friends who uh, have lost theirs. It's just not something I've ever had to deal with. I know, it's a a cross that I have to bear. But uh, when your hair is a weapon, you need Duke Cannon. So let's take a few words uh, from them.
1: Jake Middleton here, Director of Hair and Hygiene for the Minnesota Wild. How did I get this important role with the team, you ask? I'd like to think it was because of hard work, but the truth is, I run hot. Yep, I'm a sweater. In my role as director of hair and hygiene, I'm sort of like a player coach. Let me pull out the grease board here. Well, it's not actually a grease board because there is nothing dirty about do cannon. How do I help the guys stay squeaky clean? Helpful reminders. It's simple. Tarp saw, do cannon on. Say it with me. Tarp saw, do cannon on. Tarp saw, do cannon on. Pick the scent that suits you. Sawtooth thick body wash extra thick and my favorite midnight swim tarps off do cannon on do cannon work harder smell better
0: okay we're back um, we're gonna dig into the hearts now um, and the first thing is like how do you know you're in the hearts hearts are the most important part don't screw this up whitehead so what defines it? Okay, so the first one that we do is we'll take a Glencairn glass, like this one that I'm using to sample my own spirits. Mm. And we will we'll capture some of that uh, hearts as it comes out of what is known as the parrot. It's the little, basically the spot that the whiskey runs out of. When you're moonshining, of course, remember, all spirit is clear because what you've done is you've taken whatever... You've turned it into a vapor and through a series of distillations, whether it's uh, a single pot still, like is traditionally used in Irish whiskey, um, a combination still, which is what I use, which has a pot still, a whiskey helmet, uh, a secondary column, or if you're using a continuous column, like say O'Shaughnessy uses, uh, for their, um, clear spirits or someone like, um, Jim Beam uses a, I think it's like 75 feet tall, uh, uh, continuous column for all of their whiskey. Uh, it will sort of, you know, move up the ladder, if you will, in terms of purity. And so you might start with 15% alcohol. My combination still makes hearts that are all in about the 150 proof range. So we, we multiply that purity by five times. 15 to 75, 75 times two. That's how you proof things. 75% alcohol is 150 proof. So the hearts are going to try and, um, like I said, they're, it's 40% of the run. So you, you capture some of that clear spirit in a glass like this. If you add water and swirl it around, it will immediately go back to clear. Um, that's the easiest way to tell if you're in the hearts. If you're still in the heads, it'll kind of look a little oily because there are some of those compounds uh, with fusel oils being one of them that still just make it look a little smeary inside. Later on, when you get into the tails, it'll start to look uh, maybe like the water's a little cloudy or a little dirty. And that is primarily both oils and water being added. But in the hearts, when you add that water, it will immediately clear back up. But But way more importantly here and again, art and science, is the taste of that whiskey. Now, I started in Oakdale, Minnesota, making this stuff, and I had a little 30-gallon still. And that little 30-gallon still is extremely predictable, but it's also um, less efficient than the 500-gallon still that we've got. Part of that is that secondary column that we have, but part of it is that any time you're making... um, alcohol at a uh, scale it changes slightly and what it means when you're using a larger still is that your heart's run will be longer because of the quantity that's in the pot that doesn't mean that the quality of the spirit will inherently be better because it's bigger but uh, in this case for me it has when corn whiskey comes out it is sweet um, and part of that is derived from the fact that trace sugars and carbohydrates come across in distillation trace um you know, you, sugar doesn't vaporize um, the same way alcohol and water do, so it's not truly coming across, but you'll have some trace. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we love bourbon is because it has all of that sugar from the corn, uh, which is for sure the one of the highest sugar content grains that are used. Um, but what else is in the hearts? Like, I, I mean, we, we, we put them in the barrel, and bourbon has specific requirements. I might as well touch on them. Um, for to be classified as bourbon, your hearts can't be over 160 proof um, off of the still initially. And 160 is 80%. That means it's 20% alcohol at an absolute minimum. Um, And we capture all the way down to about 140 proof. Um, You know, it's, again different equipment different distillers every every single spirit will be different across the small batch world and even across the larger batch world but but what derives um the flavor profile is going to be a a multitude of different things even even in um the same as i mentioned corn from year to year is different now this is what it's not pure ethanol but it's ethanol once you get into the hearts of the run you're 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 distilling ethanol. Um, so what's in ethanol, uh, other than a little bit of water, things called cogeners. Um, this is tiny bits of the stuff that was in the heads that it, not the poisonous part, but the other parts that complicate things. Um, you know, whether it's an ester or, um, not acetone, but phenolic compounds, those things come from organic. Anytime you're doing anything organic. For instance, you get something called a sulfide. It smells like rotten eggs when you empty the fermenter. Um, and, you know, you, you need to remove those, but they're there. Um, esters are a combination of acid and alcohol. They tend to be part of it. Uh, ketones, which provide nutty or fruity notes to whiskey. Lactones, which also can be uh, woody or coconutty, um, there, there are, uh, compounds that sometimes lead to banana bread. Usually it's yeast or unfermented or unused yeast, unconverted. And then I mentioned traced, uh, the water because it has to come across. Now, again, art, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm beating a dead horse here, but every single distiller will put, they have a spot where they cut from heads to hearts, and they have a spot where they cut from hearts to tails. They might even vary them based on taste. I certainly do. Where you are surprised you're getting more heads than than you used to or than you normally do, but, but it still tastes like good corn whiskey. Um, Like, jokingly, there are a lot of people who ask me on the tour, well, you can't possibly be tasting alcohol every single day. Well, yes, I can. Every time I'm making it, I have to be tasting it. It's the only way you can do quality control. Uh, And when you're about to put, you know, 30 gallons or 50 gallons of whiskey into a $500 barrel and put it someplace else to store for three to four years, you better have it right going in there. At least you better think you have it right. And so um it's it's just an important part of this process now let's talk about the fact that we didn't just say it was pure ethanol though we've got congeners, phenolic compounds esters ketones so why or why does bourbon require that it has to be under 160 because that means it's less purified we're going to touch on vodka next and why you further distill to to take impurities out. So why do we want these impurities in bourbon? Why is it required by law uh, to be under 160 proof? Well, I think the easiest way to think of it is, let's say you've got a crazy sister-in-law. Well, that crazy sister-in-law is maybe what makes the family topic interesting. Uh, Or let's say that that little bit of crazy makes it worth talking about or being interested in hearing the story. I pretend or I tell people that the impurities and the esters and the congeners that are in that because you've only taken it to 160 proof are the crazy that makes whiskey interesting. And it's true. Um, someone told me once that if you are super, super careful or have really narrow cuts, like your head say you only took 15 the center 15 gallons of a 60-gallon run, you will have good, boring whiskey. And I think that's an important part to think about when we talk about making whiskey. It's it's the edges that actually cause the most um, interesting things to happen in a barrel. So what comes after heads? Well, that's tails. and um, Other than fusel oils, which are deep and late in the process— The interesting part to me about tails is it's really a matter of just who came across the finish line first. The quality of the alcohol for a great deal of time after you've switched from heads to tails. Um, There's still a lot of very high-quality alcohol in there, but it's not worth barreling because you've started to take too much water across. So here's the scientific process again. You've got this entire mash. Now you're up to 170-plus degrees Uh, and that's at the top of the column, not in the still. The still might be 195, 200 degrees. The top of the column where the evaporation is actually getting over into the uh, collection container has been at 173 to 178 degrees for a while, all the way through the heads. Once the alcohol starts to be reduced as a percentage in the pot, it will start to increase in temperature. And I know this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but the evaporation of alcohol within the still actually keeps the temperature down. It's like sweating. Uh, When that alcohol evaporates within the still, it actually cools down the wash that it leaves behind. And so it will hold steady at that temperature for quite some time. When that alcohol content is low enough in the still, it will allow the temperature of the still to start climbing. Once that starts to climb, more water jumps on board and grabs a hold of those alcohol molecules and heads over along with it. Um, As soon as that starts to happen, it's actually pretty apparent. And I think the best description is when you run your finger through the stream and you find that it tastes like a wet dog smells. Or wet newspaper is another one that I think is a decent way to... describe it those things tell you all right you're at the end of your hearts run now this is where um, a distiller will choose how much tails he wants because some tails are important a lot of times a pure whiskey manufacturer will end up just taking the tails throwing them back in the still and using them to lengthen the hearts run on the next batch Um, but for me I start to collect the tails to be used again. Okay, I'm going to, before I get into tails, I'm going to touch on another one of our sponsors, um, Pull Tab Sports, uh, Chill Boys. Um, Fantastic underwear. Um, Bought all three of my sons this product for Christmas. Uh, We got some after doing our Up and Down the River pod, and um, frankly, I just think they're fantastic. Uh, I absolutely would tell you, uh, if you're due to, change out the underwear. It's time for you to graduate to chill boys. I think it'll be worth your steps. I think it'll be worth your time. And I think you'll love the product. So that's my shout out to chill boys. Okay. um, Tails back at tails tails. As I mentioned, they're just the late finisher in the marathon, but they still finish the marathon. Um, And I should, I, I should stop and say, this is really only for bourbon, whiskey, rye, uh brandy this is a first distillation thing because now that we've taken the four shots out the next time we run it whether it's vodka which is next for me or further down the line and it's gin or ouzo or um something else those four shots are already removed so you're not going to get four shots anymore sometimes you'll have some leftover heads and you have to collect them again and luckily they have that um that flavor profile, that fake sugar that allows me to know when I'm done with the heads, even in further runs. But um, for whiskey, you uh, absolutely, you're, you know, although at that first run with anything organic, you've taken the four shots out. Um, so the next step when we talk about this is the manufacturing of neutral spirit or vodka. Uh, neutral is got its name whether it's grain neutral spirit which of course is what we have since we manufacture from grain fruit neutral spirit is what you'd have if it were from grapes um, brandy based or potatoes is going to be a grain I think they call that a grain maybe they call it vegetable neutral spirits I've never checked on that to be honest but that neutral just means that you've taken out the flavor uh, you've taken out the odor you've taken out um, that profile and so you know but As I mentioned before, like I can tell the difference between Tito's and um, Belvedere. And so some of that spirit's essence is going to find its way. But when we're making neutral, what you're doing is you're taking spirit and you're taking it all the way up to 190 plus proof. 190 proof is obviously 95% alcohol, which means it's still 5% water Um, and in science, there's something called an azeotrope, And what that means specifically to vodka is when you get to 192 proof or 96% alcohol, it will literally start absorbing water from the air to keep itself from going higher than that. So outside of a vacuum, so outside of a lab space, you're not going to make anything higher really than 190 proof uh, alcohol. That 190-proof alcohol has just been purified, if you think about it. You're removing all impurities. You're taking whatever leftover uh, ketones, all those things. You're taking those out. Um, Removing those things is what vodka is all about, but it also gives you a building base for every spirit that you're going to make after. So how does that happen? How do you take it so much higher than... um, than in a single or in the combination pot still I mentioned that we're using to make brandy or bourbon or rye or um, any other whiskey. It's all about levels of distillation. You've probably seen um, whether it's on a bottle or on a box or on an ad, four times distilled, 10 times distilled, seven times distilled. Some of that is, some of that is marketing. Um, And I say that because, A pot still is capable of one to two distillations. Uh, The copper itself, the um, vapor is going to condense on the inside of that copper still and run back down into the still. That's a distillation. That is literally what distillation means, evaporation and condensation. So if your pot still is designed in such a way like mine is, where the pot still has a distillation, and then it has a whiskey helmet, which has a distillation, because anytime you move... Uh, a large mass of hot air from a small space into a big space it's going to cool so that is a distillation and there's something at the top called a line arm which uh, actually forces it into a smaller space that forcing of a smaller space there's pressure that not real pressure but a uh, minor pressure that causes it to condense on the outside of that line arm that goes back in so we're at three distillations right now we haven't even left the pot The fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth distillations comes in the forms of the five plates in the secondary column. Now, would you call that bourbon eight times distilled? No, you shouldn't, but it is, technically. Um, But uh, vodka requires 20 windows of distillation. So when someone says 10 10 times distilled... I think it would be a massive waste of time to distill something the entire length of the process 10 times and sell it for 9 bucks a bottle. So I don't think that's happening. So I think there's some marketing in there. With the 20 windows of distillation, there are ways to get there. We have 17 windows on our vodka still, but we also pack the entire column in the beginning with copper mesh and copper mesh. There's a mathematical equation for how many pounds of copper mesh you need to require three windows of distillation. So a little bit of his, um, even science at a point where I'm not smart enough to explain it, but I do know that it's real. And without those, uh, windows, without all that copper mesh, I was able to achieve about 185 proof. And with, the uh, copper mesh, I'm able to get 191. So it's important, um, If you look at uh, the column itself, it looks like a gigantic flute. All these little windows look like the buttons uh, that you'd press, um, and it's frankly a beautiful piece of machinery. But inside each one, there's a copper plate. It's called a cap and bubble plate that allow vapor to pass up through it, and they'll capture liquid on the floor of the plate. If there's enough liquid, it'll run through small holes on the bubbles down to the next level, and down to the next level, and down to the next level. So when you start making vodka, the first thing you do is you load the column, is what it's called. And that really is running the distillation with the, uh, it's called the deflagmator. Think of it as a a radiator at the top. You're running cold, cold water through it so that steam never gets through. So you're not even trying to distill, you're trying to purify or get every one of those plates in that column to have a little bit of liquid because liquid on its own is a distillation as vapor passes through liquid it automatically wants to distill unless it's very high and very hot or very high proof and warmer than the water and then it'll move up another plate and another plate and so forth and so the bottom plate will be the lowest proof and the highest temperature and the top plate in the column will be the lowest temperature and the highest proof And then eventually, when you get that column loaded to the point where you're happy, and I tend to run it for several hours, you'll close that deflagmator at the very top and start to allow steam to go over into the condenser and you capture. Uh, And as I mentioned, we've thrown most of the heads away. I don't like the flavor of heads. Um, I keep trying to come up with an application for using it, but I don't have one. Uh, it affects the flavor. I have many, many, many customers tell me that they think our spirits are smoother, and I think our spirits are smoother because of the removal of the heads. So, uh, And unironically, they say that heads are what give you the headache. So when you think about the cheapest bottom shelf stuff, they're just throwing the heads in and blending them or charcoal filtering them or trying to get it to where those heads aren't quite as noticeable, but they'll still give you a headache because they contain some of those compounds. Um, another thing when we touch on, uh, neutral spirit, I could just buy it. I wouldn't have to make it. If I wanted to make thousands of gallons of gin, I could just buy ethanol. I mean, it's not like we don't have a shortage. We we have an abundance of ethanol plants in the upper Midwest. And so to, to make it yourself, some people tell me I'm crazy or stupid, or maybe it's a little bit of both, but. I don't want to not provide you with a product that I've made. Um, maybe it won't always be that way. I don't know. Right now we make every drop of alcohol that we sell and or bottle. But you can buy it pretty easily. So something to keep in mind. Who's making this stuff? It's mo- I'm most. Hmm. For instance, Bombay Sapphire. Probably my favorite gin before I started making my own. Um, they don't even make alcohol. They buy ethanol, and then they make gin from it. So they make gin, but they don't make the alcohol that's part of it. I was completely unaware of that until I started doing this myself. If you pick up a bottle and look at it, and it says made in Indiana. Pretty good chance it was made at uh, Midwest Grain Products, MGPI, to Lawrenceburg, Indiana. It's probably the largest industrial distillery in the world, and they're very good at it. I'm not... Trying to tell you they don't make good product. I'm just trying to tell you that if it says it was made in Indiana, the people you're buying it from might not have made it at all. If that's important to you, then know that. If it's not important to you and you love it, then go. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yums. It's we're all in. I'm trying to. The whole reason of doing this was to make people happy, to make things better, to make you like what you're drinking. Okay, so we've touched on now we've touched on grain neutral spirit or fruit neutral or vegetable neutral. I don't think that's a vegetable neutral, but so we've eliminated um, a good number of the impurities, uh, a good number of the flavors, good number of the aromas that that came from the grain. Um, as I mentioned, I think a trace you can always taste like Tito's is definitely a sweeter vodka and Belvedere is definitely a rye vodka. You can taste those things, but we've we've eliminated almost all of them. There's one further step that most people do when they're making neutral and they will charcoal filter it. And I don't mean, uh, you know, charcoal like you use in your grill, but essentially it's the same thing. It's carbon, activated carbon and activated carbon. Like go to Google sometime and look this up. The surface area of a gram of activated carbon is its a little bit mind-blowing. I believe it's something about roughly 1,400 square meters of surface area and a gram of carbon. A gram of carbon wouldn't even be as big as a penny in your hand. That's how porous it is. And so when you force that liquid through activated carbon, it will remove another level of impurities, solids, anything left over, specifically fatty acids that sometimes sneak across when you've broken that uh, all the way to the end, but, um, I've seen activated carbon take the color out of whiskey. I mean, come on, that's, that's amazing to me. So you do that and now you've, uh, fully stripped this alcohol, this ethanol of anything that it needs. Now, some of you probably knew this. Maybe, maybe most of you, I certainly didn't, um, Now we're going to add flavor back. That's the next step. Okay, we want to make gin. We want to make ouzo. We want to make Campari. We want to make... That's a brand name. We want to make a Campari-like spirit. We want to make an Amaro. Um, We want to make a Limoncello. All those flavors get added back, sometimes through distillation, sometimes just from um, maceration or soaking it. Think about um, Amaro, which is one of my favorite spirits, is similar to vermouth. It's like a vodka-based vermouth, and... I'm telling you right now, if you've ever been using sweet vermouth, stop using sweet vermouth. Find a, an Amaro that you like. The Amaro has a shelf life of years. The vermouth has a shelf life of about a month once you open it. And I think you can get the same levels of botanicals or flavor modifiers that you're looking for. Also, with the Amaro being one of the hotter products on the market today, you can find you know tens of them. You used to be able to find ones of them. <laughs> so we've started to expand horizons and i think um i think we owe small batch distillers uh for that variety that you're finding in the store some stores um I, I, and i'll i'll give a shout out cub liquor is one of the places that is carrying some of our spirits I'm grateful for them certics grateful jerry's liquors down in woodbury grateful right here in stillwater o'brien's um the cellars is another one um we're new to this game but we're going to be expanding our distribution uh, in Hudson you've got Lucky's Wine and Spirits and you've also got uh, Casanova I think it'll continue to grow we're new to the world and I know we've got to earn our spot on their shelf but hopefully they'll give us that chance Um, but so when you start to make gin when you start to make Uza, when you start to make these others you're going to take that base and you're going to either soak it uh, I think our Amaro has 14 botanicals in it and rather than redistill it, we just filter the solids out. That's why an Amaro has like a caramel color. That's why um, with our Rosso, Concilio Rosso, which we put red food coloring in to identify it as a Campari-like spirit for those who like a bitter spirit. Um, or even our cinnamon whiskey, the color comes from the cinnamon bark. We're going to that's just a, that's just a maceration. It just soaks on it for a period of time. And then we strain it through a media filter that takes it all the way down to a half micron to remove all the solids, but it leaves the color. But with gin, you redistill gin. Um, there are some things like Jennifer and, um, uh, uh geez, I can't think of the other one that I'm trying to think of, but, uh, those gins, they do a maceration and, and leave some of that. The original gins, of course, before they would had that greenish tone from the juniper, that um, added probably complexity, less refined. But most gins, you're putting the botanicals in a basket, and you're either running vapor through it, that's called a vapor-infused gin, or you're soaking that those botanicals in the pot itself as the alcohol heats up and that is called a maceration as well. We macerate our gins, um, and uzo is the same way. The uzo sits on the botanicals for a month, and then you strain off the solids, the star anise, um, the cardamom, and you put it into the pot, and you run it. And so it goes into the pot looking like dark tea, and as with all distillations, when it comes out, it's crystal clear. Clearer than water, and that's an honest-to-God truth. Um, and... The, if I mean, I'll just say this. If you have color coming out of your still, there's a problem. Um, It's either puking, which is not good, or you've got some sort of pressure situation that's forcing the color, um, you know, the colored liquid over the top. Neither one of them is good, so all distillations are clear. So you're going to start to build that flavor back. And, I mean, you talk about the most recent gin that we made is called I Feel Pretty. Um, my grandpa, grandpapa was a big, um, he listened to classical music, Arthur Fiedler and the Boston pops. When we were on our way to the lake, he would always listen to either Arthur Fiedler and the Boston pops or a soundtrack from something like my fair lady or, um, West side story or South Pacific. And so I feel pretty is my hat tip to my grandpapa. I feel pretty of course was the song sung by, um, Rita Moreno in the original West Side story. So I feel pretty is a orange and lavender gin. And then we soaked that clear orange and lavender gin on purple pea flour for about two and a half weeks, which gives it this wonderful, beautiful blue color uh, that actually turns purple because acid turns pea flour um, from blue to purple when you add it. And so it's quickly become the number one gin that we sell. Uh, and frankly, I'm always amazed. Um, I didn't necessarily think it was the best gin we made, and everybody's telling me I'm wrong. So even my own personal palate comes into question. I have to be mindful. Um, that the products will probably get better as the team gets better over bigger over time, and we'll continue to uh, um, we'll, we'll continue to play around. I also can tell you that botanical levels, even in gins, are something that. Just minor tweaks make a big, big difference. Um, you have to you you find out when you're making gin that the smallest amount of lavender is a lot, the smallest amount of cinnamon is a lot, vanilla, and so you know. I mentioned in the beginning that I think creativity is one of the most important parts of what makes small batch distillers, and I can tell you still today that I think our best customers, our most loyal customers. Um, like the creativity. They like the nimble, the ability to stay nimble, to make new products, to bring new products. Uh, we're lucky with a tasting room to be able to make and sell them to our, you know, sell, that's the wrong word, to use in our tasting room before we ever have to put a label and a bottle on it. And so, you know, we've got hundreds of customers who are our, our taste testers. We're grateful very much for them and their feedback. If you've got feedback on a specific product, always, criticism is something i'm comfortable taking i've got a lot of way i have a long way to go um this is hopefully going to be you know 20 30 40 years in the making when charlie is um a generation into into distillation so it's we want we want your feedback we want people to tell us what they like and what they don't like Okay, so that's probably a lot of information. I don't know if I should even go further than that. Um, you heard that um, whiskey has a lot of parts, and some of them are bad, some of them are good. You've found out that they all can come from the same recipe, uh, that distillation is a purification process, if you will, that some crazy is important when you're talking about aging it, that more purification is important when you're using it as a base for something else. And you've learned that the building blocks of all of the clear products that we have um, uh, come from that neutral. Um, maybe next time, or maybe the time after, we'll talk about the specifics of what's happening when you get into the barrel. You might have to catch our um, down the rabbit hole. I know we cover quite a bit of what. Um, The wood does, but it's magic. Um, And things like vanillins that add vanilla notes to something like whiskey um, actually come from the barrel itself. Um, Those of us familiar with the St. Croix Valley know that tannins in the trees that the water from the St. Croix pass through are what give it its tea color. That is a really good sort of uh, indication of where color comes from when you talk about whiskey, but at the same time, that vanillin compound, similar to tannins that is in oak, um, gives hints of vanilla. So uh, I think I'm going to stop there. Um, I think that's a lot. I'm grateful to all of you who took the time to listen. Grateful to our sponsors, uh, Duke Cannon uh, and Chill Boys. Grateful to the Cub people for Cub Content Studio. And I'm grateful to Pulteb Sports. I'm Guy from Lucky Guy's Distillery. Come see us at the distillery in Hudson, Wisconsin. Stay lucky. Some people, they drink too much.
1: Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me.